This is from John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming. And no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. This is the word of the Lord. You're welcome. Sometimes a sign is all it takes, right? Two people put, uh, during COVID, they put a sign up in their yard, and all of a sudden they have all the people in their, in their neighborhood walking in silly ways. That's crazy, the power that a sign has. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called The Signs, and what we're doing is we're just walking through the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John gives us signs that Jesus did that point us to something. They, it, these signs actually change the way we walk. That's what John's intent is. Out of all of the miracles that we have of Jesus, we have about 35 miracles written for us in the Gospels of Jesus. John picks just eight. He says, these signs I'm going to write about so that you will know who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and so that you will have life in his name. These signs show us something, and I think that these signs also tell us how to walk, and we'll walk differently because we've seen him. So today's sign, we come to uh, a, a, a text in John chapter 9, and it's a, it's a sign that Jesus does for a man who has been born blind. He's been blind his whole life, and Jesus steps into this picture, and he cures this man of his blindness so that he can see for the very first time in his life. And here's what I think we can see in the text. We'll see blame, we'll see blindness, and lurking somewhere in here is even a bear, okay? So let's talk about those things. First, blame. The text starts this way, that as Jesus was passing by, 
that they passed by a man blind from birth. His disciples are in tow, and his disciples, you can see their, their gears spinning, and they see this blind man, and they say, oh, this is time for a question. And they ask Jesus this question. Jesus, who sinned here? This man is blind. He's been blind from birth. Apparently, he was uh, a known figure. At least the disciples knew that he had been blind from, from birth. And they asked Jesus, who sinned? And right away, just in that question, there's lots to unpack. See, the disciples and the Jews in general had a notion of suffering. And it was this, that suffering always came because somebody sinned. Someone was to blame. That's the word. And the question of the disciples to Jesus is, who is it? Who is it that's to blame? Who sinned here? Uh, and there's only two options in their mind. Number one, maybe it was his parents. Maybe his parents sinned. They did something wrong, and now he's paying for their sins, and that thinking is not without scriptural support. You can go to the Old Testament, and there are lots of times where God talks about visiting the sins of the fathers onto their children. And so Jesus, was it his parents that sinned? Is that why he was born blind? Or the other option is, maybe it's this man himself. Maybe he did something. It's really hard for us to imagine that someone who was born blind could actually have anything to do with their own blindness. But leave it to the Jews. Uh, Jewish theologians actually had theories about how even a fetus in the womb could sin. That's crazy talk to us, but not to them. And so those are, that's what the disciples are thinking. And those are the two options. Somebody is to blame either the parents or this man, who is to blame? In other words, the question they're really asking is this, why, Jesus? Why is this happening? And that question is not just the disciples' question. That's our question, right? Lee Strobel commissioned a, a survey across American adults and he asked this question, if you could ask God only one question and you knew that he would give you the answer, what would you ask? And here's the top answer. He says, without fail, the top answer was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? That is our most pressing question for God. Why all the brokenness, God? And the reason we want an answer is because it is personal to us. This is more than a theory, it's more than a philosophy. This is one we all feel deeply because we've all lost and suffered in some way. If you haven't lost or suffered, it just means that you haven't lived long enough yet. Breathe for a few more minutes and it will come. It's the man who some years ago was backing his car out of the garage accidentally runs over his five-year-old girl. And that five-year-old girl jumps up for a moment. She runs around the car saying, Daddy, Daddy, why? And then she collapses. That is horrific. That is absolutely tragic. It is unthinkable. 
why in the world would that even be a thing? That's the question that we all have. And it's intensely personal. When, when suffering comes into our life, we run around the car too and we look up at God and we say, why? Why, Daddy? Why? That's it. That's the big why, the problem of pain. It, it's been formed up a lot of different ways over the centuries. This, this is one of them. If God is good, then why does He allow suffering? If God is powerful, then why doesn't He stop suffering? And so the conclusion is, because suffering exists, he's not good and he's not powerful. How can we worship a God who claims to be loving, claims to be powerful, and yet allows all of this? John Stott says that the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to Christianity. And so the disciples are asking the question that you and I ask, who sinned? Why did this happen? But what you need to understand is that in the question, there's an assumption that these disciples are making. It's kind of a leading question that they are asking. They're leading the witness here. Because the common belief was that a particular individual sin led to uh, suffering specifically, okay? And and while we're here, this is probably another sermon that we'll cover another time, but let me just throw this out because we need to. Christian scripture will lead us to the idea, generally speaking, that suffering comes from sin in general, but not necessarily from sin in particular. What does that mean? It means that there's suffering in the world because the world is a broken place. And that brokenness is a result of sin. So all suffering in the world is a result of sin. The reason you have a pollen attack this week is not because you you told a lie last week, but it is because everybody in the world has lied. Make sense? That's the idea. Now the caveat to that is that, of course, there are some particular sins that do lead directly to suffering. Uh, If you go out on the highway and you speed long enough for, if you go fast enough for long enough, you're in a 65 and you're going 90, then at some point you're going to suffer, right? You're either going to get a ticket or you're going to have a horrific crash or at least you're going to burn a lot of gas, right? You're going to suffer in some way. And that's another sermon. But here's the bottom line. It's wrong to say that all of our specific sins lead to some specific suffering in our life. But that's what they thought in Jesus' day. That's the the assumption the disciples are working with. And so, what is the specific sin, Jesus, that led to this guy being blind? Either his parents had something in their life, or maybe he did something wrong. Which was it? And here's what Jesus says, verse 3. This is kind of a mic drop situation. Jesus says, neither. Neither? Wait a minute, wait a minute. They're looking at each other. Is that even a category? Neither? Without God in our lives, there are only two categories for suffering. And those categories are anger and guilt. And so any suffering that comes into your life, you will either blame somebody else. That's what they were doing when they pointed to this guy. Is it this guy's parents? And that's usually out of anger. Or when suffering comes into your life, your only other option without God is to blame yourself. Did this guy sin? And that's all about guilt. Jesus says, 
with God in your life, there is now a third category. It's no longer blame others or blame yourself. Now there's a third category for suffering. He says it this way. It wasn't this man's parents that sinned or this man that sinned, but his suffering is so that. Now I use the ESV and it doesn't say so that. Uh, If you look in the NIV, it says so that, but the Greek behind the word says so that. And so we have to uh, put so that in there. Uh, Bob, if you could find that, so that slide. And what Jesus is telling us um, by the so that in this text is a couple things. Number one, he's saying we have a so that God. A so that God. Uh, Some theologians call this the henna clause because that's the Greek word behind so that. This word is henna. Uh, Not Santa Claus, but henna clause. And the henna clause promises us this, that your suffering is never senseless. Never. That's the third option. Any suffering that you endure, any suffering that you encounter, any suffering that you experience in this life is so that. We serve a so that God, and it means that there's a reason, there's a purpose that these things are coming into your life. It's just that often we don't know what that reason is. But there still is one. Pain was not a part of God's design. Suffering in this world was not a part of God's plan. But that doesn't mean that the suffering in this world isn't governed by God. He absolutely governs it. He controls it. He monitors it. He channels it. That's what happens. That means that there's always a so that to every trouble in your life, whether you discover it or not. Sometimes it'll take heaven to figure out what the purpose was for our suffering, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a purpose. And so here Jesus does give the purpose. He does give the so that. He says, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And what does that mean? Here's here's one thing that I think it means. It means that people are going to see this man suffering and they're going to be led to God, not steered away from God. Here's the second thing that this so that clause leads us to, and here's what Jesus is saying in this text, that he's saying suffering allows the work of God to go on. Uh, Jesus says, God sent me here to do work. He sent me to do his work. And what God's work is all about is redeeming the world back to him. That, that big word redemption just means to buy back. And so we have been trapped, we've been caught in sin and death in this little trap. And Jesus has come. We've been slaves to those things. Jesus has come to buy us out of our slavery. That's what it means to be redeemed. And he's come to overcome the sin and death in our, in, in our life And that's his work, that's God's work, and that's what Jesus is doing. And we can see him redeeming the world, how? Through suffering. The suffering of his son. And so God knows what he's doing when it comes to suffering and pain in your life. We are trapped in time with a very limited perspective. And at the, at the moment, God may seem very unfair to us, but He knows things that we do not know. And so we have a so that God. That's what we trust. 
that there's always a purpose. And we have a God who is working so that there's no longer anybody to blame. I'm not going to blame others. I'm not going to blame myself because God is working through my pain and in my pain. And so, no reason to blame. Also in this text, there is blindness. Those two things seem like opposite ends of the spectrum, right? But I think we're going to find that they mesh together by the time we're done today. I want you to take out that little uh, uh, slip of paper that you got when you came in, and here's what I want to, the, the truth that I want to assert to you today, that you are blind. And I'm not talking figuratively. You are literally blind. You in this room and the people in a thousand rooms just like this room, you're all blind. I'm blind. Let me prove it to you, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold this picture. I have a we actually have a doctor of optometry in the room today. Uh, Mr. Barker, you can help me here if, if I'm messing this up, okay? Uh, but I want you to take your uh, paper, hold it at arm's length. I want you to cover your right eye, and I want you to look only at the plus sign, okay? Cover your right eye, look only at the plus sign, only at the plus sign. Can you see the happy face? Raise your hand if you can. No, because you're covering your eye with your hand. Uh, can you see the happy face? Say yes. Yes. Now here's what I want you to do. Start bringing, just look at the plus, start bringing that piece of paper closer to your eye. Maybe we might need some lights in the room. Is there a point where that smiley face disappears? Oh my goodness. How many of us are blind? Every hand should go up, right? We are all blind. And that's the main point of this passage that Jesus wants to get across, that everyone is blind. Now, there's a long story that goes along with this text, and uh, when we read Scripture, we only gave you the, the beginning and the end of the story, um, but finally, at the end, Jesus is in front of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and this is the charge that he gives them. He says, you are the people that should be leading people to God, but you can't see God yourselves. You are blind to him. And these Pharisees see in front of them this man who has been born blind, who Jesus heals and gives him his sight, and they see this man and they, they are enraged. They don't like this guy. Uh, the dialogue that happens that we didn't read is very interesting. This guy is really snarky and sarcastic, and it's an awesome little piece of dialogue that happens in there. And so they're hostile to him. They don't like him. And because Jesus healed him, they don't like Jesus. They're very hostile to Jesus. And what that means is that just like the feeding of the 5,000 a couple weeks ago, Jesus' ability to deal with our spiritual hunger he feeds the people, right? Just like that, this man born blind symbolizes Jesus' ability to deal with our spiritual blindness. God is at work here, and part of what he wants to do is to cure us of our spiritual blindness. And so the physical healing in this passage directs us to the, to the spiritual healing that is available for us. And so here's what Jesus did. This is, this is really weird when you, when you read through it. He spits on the ground, 
He, he, he makes a little mud out of the dirt with his spit. He, he puts this mixture on the guy's eyes, and he says, go and wash. Now, that is weird. What in the world is Jesus doing? Because we've learned so far in the book of John that all it takes is a word from Jesus, and you can be healed. So, so what's going on? Why the theatrics here? Why the spit and the mud and going and washing? Part of what's going on here is that this miracle, just like uh, one before that we've covered, takes place on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath day, there were all kinds of regulations that the Pharisees, the religious leaders had put in place that weren't necessarily God's laws, but they were just man's laws, made up laws. They had good intentions, but they were badly executed. And so they ended up being a burden on people. Like on, on the Sabbath day, you couldn't carry uh, sticks, you know, so far. You couldn't walk so far. On, you couldn't knead dough on the Sabbath day. Do you know what Jesus is technically doing here? He's mixing his spit with dirt. Does that sound like kneading dough? Yeah. He is kneading clay on the Sabbath, and it's as if Jesus is making sure that even the procedure that he uses to heal this guy goes against Sabbath regulations. The Pharisees drew a line, says, you can't do this on the Sabbath, and Jesus says, oh, are you sure? That's a man-made thing. That's not a God thing. The Sabbath is for healing, and that's what I've come to do. And so he makes this mud. And he puts it on the guy's eyes. Now, uh, there have been cases, we don't know about this blind guy, there have been cases of blindness where blind people could actually see light. You know, they can't really see much else, but they can discern light and dark. Was this guy in that spot? I don't know. Maybe he was in total darkness. I don't know. What I do know is when Jesus puts mud on his eyes, that makes the problem worse. Doesn't it? It makes it worse. And then Jesus sends him off. Wait a minute, Jesus, you're not going to go with him? You're, you're not going to lead him somewhere that you're sending him? You're not going to hold him by the hand? He's blind, and you've just made it worse. And he says, go. Sometimes we have to obey Jesus in the dark. It may seem like in our life that he's making things worse but we have to trust him because we know we're not in the dark alone. Jesus has a way of turning darkness into triumph. And so he says, go to the pool of Siloam. It was a pool in South Jerusalem. Actually, in 2004, part of this pool was uncovered. Um, it was discovered again and partially uncovered. And there are different takes on this pool, but one of them that I read was that the waters that flowed into this pool were considered pristine. They were considered the purest available. And so maybe Jesus is sending him to this pool for this reason. I'm not really sure, but here's what I do know for sure, that he could not send him to the temple. Why? Because people with disabilities were barred from the temple. The very house of God, where God lived, where this man should have been able to go to get help, to get healing, he couldn't go because he wasn't healed. 
Now, is that a backwards system religiously? Everybody say yes. Yes. Jesus says, go to the pool and wash. I'm the real healing that you need. And so he went and washed. And the text says, he came back seeing. Now, there's a few things that we need to understand about the Pharisees and about this man. First, the Pharisees do an awful lot of labeling in this whole interchange. In verse 24, they call Jesus a sinner. In verse 34, they call this man a sinner. Uh, And they go a step further, actually 10 steps further. They say to this man, not only you're a sinner, you were born in utter sin. Jesus, in verse 39 says, you know, you guys are doing a lot of labeling. I'm the real judge. So let me label for a minute. And he says this. The people who can't see will be the ones who will see. The people who can see will be the people that won't be able to see. Now what does that mean? It's actually pretty simple. It just means that if you need help Help is coming. But if you don't think you need help, why would help ever come? The real sinner in this world is not the person who suffers. The real sinner in this world is not the person that's blind. The real sinner in this world is not the person who has some calamity befall them or some illness. The real sinner is the one who will not believe. That's what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees. His label on them is spiritual blindness. And if you choose to remain in that unbelief, in that spiritual blindness, then there is no help for you. Now, the Pharisees hear this, and they're like, whoa, 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 you can't be talking about us, right? I mean, we can see. We're not blind. And what are they doing? Oh my goodness, they're proving Jesus' point, right? By claiming that they can see already, they have dismissed their real need. And Jesus' response is in verse 41. It's really great. He says, if you claim you're you're not blind, when everybody knows that you are, then your problem will never go away and your guilt will remain. That seems very cryptic when you read it in the text, but it's actually a very simple idea. It's this. That if you have issues with your eyes, then the surest way to destroy your eyes is to never go to the doctor, to never get treatment. The only blindness without remedy is choosing to be blind to your own blindness. And so the Pharisees are the ones who claim to see but are truly blind in this text. On the other hand, we have the man. And the man does an awful lot of learning here. See, he's the one blind person in the text. And by the way, we're all blind, right? Everybody in the text is blind. We're all blind. We just proved that. Not only physically, but absolutely spiritually speaking. And he's the only blind person in the text that receives his sight. But it's not just a physical receiving of sight. It's a spiritual receiving of sight. The whole sign, the whole miracle points to the fact that Jesus can cure spiritual blindness. And if that's true, then it only makes sense that this man would have his physical blindness cured as well, and also his spiritual blindness. And you can see the man's progression 
in his spiritual awareness, his spiritual blindness. In verse 11, he's, the people come to him and they say, you can see who did this. And he says, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I think his name is Jesus. But honestly, he put some stuff on my eyes. He, I couldn't see anything. And I, I just don't know. I don't know. And then somebody comes to him again and they ask him about Jesus. In verse 17, he says, you know, I've been thinking about it a little bit. He must be a prophet, right? There's a progression going on. Verse 25, <laughs> the Pharisees come to him and say, Jesus is a sinner. How did he do this? The guy says, you know what? I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I can see. That's pretty convincing. In verse 32 and 33, the man says, you know what? I think this guy is from God. And finally, in verse 38, Jesus finds this man after the fact and they're talking face to face. And he says, I believe that you are the Son of God. And he worships. There's the progression. This man just doesn't get physical healing, but ultimate healing of spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness in our lives always happens when we worship the wrong thing. But this man's progression was from worshiping who knows what to worshiping the true thing in his life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And spiritual blindness in our lives is cured when we worship the right thing. And the more worship we do of that right thing, of Jesus, the more we see of him. So here's, here's the man, he's contrasted to the, the Pharisees, they were the ones who claimed to see, but they were truly blind. And here's this man who claims to be blind. In verse 9, he says, I'm the blind guy who truly sees. And it changes his life that he can both see and that he can see. I told you lurking in this text, there was a bear. And it's here. We're going to have to come full circle. Worshiping Jesus will open your eyes to realities that you've never seen before. And so that's true in our lives too. And we have to try that on for size with the topic that Jesus has given us in this text. And that topic is suffering that we started out with. And so if we take that topic of suffering and we, we ask this question, does worshiping the right thing, worshiping Jesus, open my eyes to the realities of suffering that maybe I've never seen before? Could that be true? Yes, absolutely. Here it is. There are two normal ways to see suffering. That's what we went through. You blame others. You blame yourself when suffering comes. But because we've been opened spiritually, our eyes have been opened and we can see now there's a new way to see our suffering. And that new way is that third option that Jesus gives us in this text, that God is working. God is doing something. So it's not blame others, it's not blame myself, it's God is working. I want you to imagine there's a hunter and he's out in the wilderness and he stumbles upon a bear and the bear is caught in a trap. One of his legs caught in a trap. This hunter feels compassion for this bear that is caught in the trap. He wants to free the bear. But the bear surely doesn't understand the hunter's intentions. He's not going to let the hunter anywhere near him. But the hunter doesn't give up, right? So what he does, he, he goes away for a little while. He comes back with a gun. And in the gun, there are darts full of drugs. And he starts shooting the bear with these darts full of drugs. And the, bull, the bear 
more than ever, sees this hunter as an enemy trying to kill him. And now the bear, because of the darts, is semi-conscious, right? And so the hunter comes over, and in order to free the trap, he actually has to press the trap closer together before he can get it apart. The bear now has more evidence than ever that this hunter is trying to inflict as much pain as possible. But what do you and I know? We know that the bear is wrong. We know that if the bear just waits just a little longer, that he'll find the hunter was trying to free him all along. From the bear's perspective, it sure doesn't seem like anything is happening but more suffering, more pain. My foot is caught. I'm bleeding. There's pain. Now this guy is shooting darts at me. Now I feel like my eyes are closing. I, I'm done. I, I'm done. Is that the truth? No. The truth is that the hunter is on a rescue mission to free the bear. But it's going to take an awful lot of pain to get there. And all that pain is going to be for the bear's good. And at some point, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the bear will understand that this pain was intended and completed for his good. And so will we. Are we bears? No, we're not bears. <laughs> we are children of God. And God sees his children suffering, and he has chosen to do something about it. He's worked to set us free. And that work involved suffering and pain and shed blood and nailed hands and crown of thorns and a spear in a side. But he worked. We could say it this way, to end our pain and suffering and darkened understanding of the world, God struck Jesus with darkness and blindness and suffering on the cross. Jesus always saw very clearly until God struck him with darkness as he hung there. He was forsaken, he was cut off. He was plunged into a spiritual dark, darkness, and that was all God's doing. God himself orchestrated the cross. God himself takes responsibility for probably the greatest tragedy that the world has ever seen, the very death of God. And in that suffering, he is working. He's working. He presses the jaws of the trap closer together. It seems like the sun is doing only more and more suffering, but three days later, he bursts forth from a tomb and victory and life spring out of all the pain and the suffering. Is God powerful enough to take care of suffering? Answer, yes. Is God good enough that he wants to take care of suffering? Answer, yes. Will God one day take care of all of the suffering in the world? Answer, yes. How can we say that because of the cross? The cross is our proof. The popular charge against God today is, why doesn't he do something? Some tragedy comes into your life and you shake your fist at God and you say, why doesn't he do something? The answer to that is given by Jesus himself right here. He is doing something. He has done something. He is working. He sent his son to a cross so that suffering would be wiped away. 
And from our side of the cross, the right response is this. He has done something. He sent Jesus to a cross. And we have a third option when pain comes our way. Not blame somebody else in anger, not blame myself in guilt, but to recognize that God is at work. And so when suffering comes, I want to challenge you to join God in that work because He wants to buy you out of the slavery that sin has put you into. And the way to do that is to ask a different question. Seeing suffering clearly, right? Being, having our eyes opened to our suffering allows us to change the question. The question is no longer, why am I suffering, God? The question is this, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? God, what am I blind to in my life that you want me to see more clearly? God, what trap have I stepped into that you are trying to pull me out of and free me from? What has the broken world done to me, God, to remind me that I need a Savior and to drive me to Him? That's truly seeing. And Jesus, in this text, says that He is the light of the world. I don't know about you, as I get older, I need more light to see things. (laughs) It's just hard. Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you the light of the whole world, and you'll be able to see everything in your life more clearly. Not just your suffering, but your job, and your passions, and your money, and your relationship, even your sin, you'll be able to see in brand new ways because Jesus has come to heal you. He's come to open your eyes. He's come to give you true Sabbath rest. And the way to to come to Him is to come and say, I'm blind. I can't see anything. Heal me, Jesus. That's the only way. If you claim to be able to see You'll never get treatment because you'll never go to the doctor. But if you recognize your blindness, it will drive you to the light of the world and you'll see. I want you to keep that blindness test. Maybe on the back of it, write John 9.41 and write out that scripture because now you know what it means. It means I need to go to the doctor when I can't see. That doctor is Jesus. Scripture says about receiving the light of the world into your life so that you can see. It says, come in belief. It says, come in repentance. It says, come in confession. It says, come in baptism. One of the the unavoidable things in this text that I see is that Jesus sent this man to wash. And the man went and washed. He washed that stuff off of his eyes, and he came back seeing. Did the washing heal him? We could say, no, no, it was obviously Jesus that healed him, that opened his eyes. But on the other hand, did the washing heal him? Yes. Because he never would have been able to see without the washing. You know what Jesus' command to you today is? It's exactly the same. It's be washed. Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples. How do we make disciples? By washing them. By baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit today. You want to be healed today. Jesus' command to you is exactly the same as to this man. Go and be washed. And you will be able to see by the light that lights the whole 
world.